Welcome back to our Dewhawk Dozen podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have our final guest for the year here this year. We've had stories from across the entire country. Um, we've had stories from across the entire world, you know, international teaching, the Peace Corps, um, Georgia, Iowa, Illinois, all across the board, military, education. And what we're really excited about today is our 12th guest for the year is actually a Dewhawk returning home. Chris Stoker. Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we also have a guest host for our last <laughs> podcast of the year. We've got Luke Paterosi as well. Um, so it's a room full of Duhawk alum today. Happy to be here. So Rachel is currently on the road, so she couldn't join us for our final podcast uh, of 2022. However, Chris Stoker, uh, 2018 grad, is our December recipient for the Duhawk Dozen. He was nominated for his work in helping students discern through their college process when he worked in the admission office, as well as some exciting stuff he's been doing for the past three months. And the Young Alumni Advisory Board unanimously agreed that he was a much deserving recipient for our final 2022 Duhawk Dozen. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm honored to be part of the, the Dewhawk Dozen and to, um, yeah, be part of this podcast and be back here at Loris. Yeah, it's great. Yes. I don't worry. I promise my voice will be a little bit more jovial, too, for, <laughs> for this podcast. Chris's last time in this podcast studio, he was actually doing voiceover for us for a Giving Tuesday video. So last year's Giving Tuesday. I got some pretty strong uh, feedback that I need to be more jovial, so... And here we oh, are. <laughs> very jovial. This is my, my most jovial voice. Man so many talents. Yeah. Just very talented, Chris <laughs> Stoker. Um, first and foremost, if you just want to give us a little recap, um, aside from the past three months, because we'll get into that in a little bit, yeah. what have you been up to since 2018 when you graduated? Definitely. So my path was slightly untraditional. I was a regular undergrad student my first two years here at Loris. And then my last two years, um, I joined the seminary um, for the Archdiocese of Dubuque. And so my last two years, I was a seminarian and an undergrad student here at Loris. I went on to um, major seminary at Mundelein Seminary in uh, Illinois. Um, decided to take a step back, just kind of needed to um, continue some discernment uh, personally. And so I had left the seminary and then I joined the admission team here at Loris, actually. So I was uh, the assistant director of admission, um, recruiting from the Chicago and suburb area, and really um, enjoyed that time. Just love being able to be back here at Loris, be back with um, Duhawks, and to, in a way, give back, give back to the, the Loris community that, that gave me a lot as well. And so really enjoyed that. And then after about two years here at Loris, I had another personal goal of mine, a, a dream to, uh, sounds crazy enough, but to bike, cross, uh, bike across the country. And so... Um, I thought there was no better time to, to take on that goal than, than this past summer. So went from the West Coast to East Coast uh, this past summer. So, yeah, been a different, you know, uh, journey throughout the past. I mean, I started here at Loris in 2014. So it's crazy to see the time has, has flown by almost uh, 10 years now. And um, Loris has always been a, a part of those, uh, those, those past years in many ways. And glad uh, always to, to be here. 
I mean, that's a lot <laughs> in just a very short amount of time. Um, before we dive into the last three months, because I really want to hear a little bit more about that, but curious, in your time, um, we actually referenced it on one of the earlier podcasts where we were talking about discernment with Brenda Gomez. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like discernment has been a, like a focal point for a yeah. lot that you've done since, both discerning out of the, the priesthood, discerning um, into what you're going to do next, but also helping students discern what college was the best fit for them. Because at the end of the day, that college church really is just, it's a discernment. Um, What have you found in that whole process that has really stuck out to you as as that really being a defining factor in in what you choose to do and what you like to do that, where does that discernment fit in? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And um, a great point. I think discernment really has been kind of this ongoing piece for me in my, just my own personal and spiritual life and, and journey with Loris and overall. Um, I think the best way discernment was put to me was actually in my, my first, uh, foundational MOI course here at Loris, my freshman year. Um, Dr. Ossine was our MOI advisor, or professor, and, um, you know, gave us this great quote that, you know, discernment is, you know, or your vocation, excuse me, your vocation is where your greatest joy meets the world's uh, deepest need. And that has always stuck with me from my freshman year here at Loris. And, um, and it's just kind of a ongoing thing that I reflect on and, and try to pursue. And so what I've also found, though, is that um, discernment is an ongoing process. It's not just, you know, one one and done sort of thing, you know, found my my greatest joy and found the world's deepest need and that's it. Um, no, it's, it's a daily um, process. And so yeah, it's been a daily process for me ever since then and still working on it and, um, and enjoy, you know, having, you know, walking with others through their own discernment process, whether, um, just personal friends and family, um, uh, students who were discerning coming to Loris and, uh, having people walk with me through my own discernment process. So yeah, it's definitely a, a lifelong goal though, but it's been a kind of foundational part of my, my journey. I think anyone's. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, one thing, you know, looking at both where you've been, where you're going, kind of what's next. Um, I also, we talk a lot about um, the Enneagram for our listeners who aren't familiar. The Enneagram yeah. is uh, something that kind of just defines what some of your guiding principles are, some of your strengths, your weaknesses, your motivators, all that stuff. Um, and both Chris and myself and a few other of our colleagues are, are ones which are looked at as the perfectionists. So something as, as um, someone who likes to discern, someone who likes kind of that perfectionism when it comes to all that they do and kind of a, a refined order to things. Do you find those two points of your guiding, guiding lights as ever at odds or do they kind of work very well complementary together? Dang. Um, <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a both and I think it, it really helps kind of gives, you know, being that, that one and um, having kind of those defined principles really help guide me and, kind of keep me grounded, um, as well, but also it's a challenge. You know, I, I like to know what I'm going to do. I like to know, um, what tomorrow's going to hold. I like to control, uh, a lot of times. Um, and so, you know, as, as a one that's really challenging, not knowing, um, what tomorrow brings or not knowing, um, what exactly, you know, my vocation is or, um, having that discernment process be a ongoing process. I wish it was a one and done and just, uh, <laughs> could uh know but uh yeah no being 
being a one in the Enneagram has definitely helped me in some ways, but has also been a challenge and a area of growth for me too. Yeah. If you guys have an answer for me, let me know. Um, <laughs> that'd be nice. I think you're doing great. <laughs> no, thank you. And it's, it's great. It's part of the journey. And like I said, it's, it's an ongoing process. And as I've looked back, um, kind of reflecting for this podcast, it's, it's, that's what makes it fun, I think, is not knowing and, um, and growing. And so um, definitely a challenge for sure, but uh, fun. I love it. You know, as, a, as an alum, you hear about the preparation and, you know, how, how students, they, they leave Loris being ready to attack whatever's next. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would want to ask you, can you reflect back to your time at Loris and just be having that confidence going into um, – whatever decision you were going to make in terms of your career and, and, uh, what was next for you? Definitely. I, you know, I think Loris does a great job of preparing people and, and students for the future. Um, and that's something I didn't really think about when I was a student and I was like, Oh yeah, just a student, take some classes, make sure I graduate, um, find a job, make sure I'm working. Um, or I guess when I was in seminaries, go on to seminary and, and pursue that, that, that path at the time. But, as I was working in the admission office here and, and kind of um, working with students who were discerning of coming to Loris and, and what Loris actually provides for them and making sure I understood that well, was that you know, I think Loris really does prepare students well to, to go out into the world and to, to make an impact. And I think what's special about Loris is that, you know, I would tell students that we're not really asking the question, you know, are you going to have a job when you graduate? You know, I think it's reported that 98% of our students, you know, have a job or continue on with education after they graduate. Um, but it's more about, you know, understanding what are your gifts and what you're talented at and, and what you enjoy and are, are given. And then how are you going to give that back into the world? And I think, you know, I tell students and families, that's a way more exciting question to ask <laughs> than am I going to have a job or what am I going to do? Um, and I think all the professors and the, the staff and um, just the community here at Loris is really good at working with students to help, one, just kind of unpack what that is. And that, again, is a lifelong process, but kind of giving the environment here in these four years to do, to do that. And then asking those tough questions of, all right, now how are we going to go back and out into the world and, and, and give those gifts uh, uh, that you've received? And so... Yeah, I think Loris does a really good job uh, of that here. Um, and so for me, you know, it's just kind of uh, a process of of reflecting on what my, what my own uh, personal gifts are. And at the time, was uh, it was seminary and, and pursuing that that religious um, life. So mm-hmm. again, but again, it, it, it's this it's this ongoing thing. It's you're not going to have it figured out in four years. I think Loris gives you the foundation for that, um, but it's something that's co- continually unfolding. And speaking of continually unfolding, yeah. all of that, your entire work history, your entire educational history, everything up until this point has led to this past summer where you did this super adventurous, out-of-pocket, cross-country bike trip. Um, yeah. Elevator pitch. What was that like? Where did you go? Um, just give us a little bit of a, of a brief synopsis on that entirety of this past summer and what that bike trip looked like for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Easy task of just a quick summary of that. Uh-huh. I'm still reflecting on it. I, I just finished about two, two, three weeks ago, uh, landed in Boston. And yeah, I mean, 
if you had told me even a year ago that I was going to bike across the country, I would say you're insane. Um, even though it you know, it was a goal I've always had, but yeah, I mean, I guess it really was just that, that unfolding process of, of discernment, like I've, I've been talking about. Um, you know, I think as I was getting, as I was thinking about the idea, you know, there's this uh, seed in my head of just like, oh, you could do this. But in my mind, I was like, there's, there's no way, you know, you, you have a job, <laughs> you have a house, you, you have family and friends in the area, you know, it's, it's, uh, this thing that's way out there. You, there's no way. And, um, I had, uh, a close friend of mine who she was older and, and, and getting and passing away. And, uh, we talk a lot and, and I'd visit her and, and it just was this incredible time to, to chat with her about my own, my own goals and dreams. And she kind of just encouraged me of me like, Hey, Chris, you know, um, go for it. Just, just do it. And, you know, don't look back. And, and that was kind of that unfolding discernment process that I wasn't expecting, you know, I wasn't expecting to have a friend, um, kind of encourage me in that way. And then there's a kind of few other people who came into my life who also, um, I was, um, grateful to have and to kind of share that idea with. And everyone was very encouraging. And, and so I thought, you know, why not go for it? Why not, um, take that leap? And, for me, I guess the the leap was just stepping into the unknown. I I'm a cyclist. I love kind of recreation, rec, cycling recreationally. But I was like, I didn't know if I could bike four thousand miles uh, across the country. And so um, it really was this um, stepping into the unknown. Um, but having this support of friends and family behind me to do it. Um, and so yeah, I went for it. Um, and somehow made it. I don't know. Don't know how I did, but um, somehow made it uh, 4,323 miles. Casual 4,000 miles. Yeah. Um, and for anyone listening at home, that's stokes.on.spokes. If you want to retroactively <laughs> follow that 4,000 mile journey, because oddly enough, Stokes on Spokes was already taken on, yeah, on Instagram. Um, on yeah. Instagram so got to have those periods in there. Um, one thing I find fascinating about this journey for you is that along your entire career up until this point, it's been very community focused. So, you know, you've had your Loris community, you've had your um, community at the um, at the seminary, you've had your community back home, even in the admission team, you have your admission community. Um, so you go from such a community rooted experience to this transient, basically borderline solo experience. Yeah. What was that transition like? And when did it finally click for you that although it was a different sense of community, mm-hmm. that there was still something there? Yeah, no, that's a another great question because I think at first there was a little bit of uh, maybe pride in me that thought like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this solo trip. You know, I was telling people I'm gonna go, I'm gonna bike solo across the country. And um, what I realized towards the end though is that it definitely was not a solo trip. <laughs> you know, I, there's no way I could have done it um, by myself. I mean, from the beginning, uh, from the beginning of even having the idea, there was a a, a group of friends and family that really supported me and encouraged me to, to take that step, um, to the people that kind of helped supported me along the way, um, to Bob, who was a great friend I met, uh, on the West coast and, and biked along with me to all the people that gave us shelter and food and, 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 um, uh, a bed to sleep in. And so, and then yeah, towards the end and, and being back and all the people that kind of followed along the way, um, via Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media. And so that was one of the things that I think at the beginning I was like, yep, nope, this is kind of be this, this solo adventure I'm going to go on. But, um, what I've recognized is that 
there's been so many people that have supported me along the way that it would not be possible um, by myself. And so, yeah, might have biked, I guess, on my own, um, <laughs> but definitely was a, a community um, venture for sure. And and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that and um, hopefully can give back in some way. You know, biking 4,000 miles doesn't come without some uh, some challenges. So <laughs> can you uh, can you talk about a little bit of the highlights and maybe some of the lowlights that you experienced on your journey? Yeah, um, there were some tough days. Uh, I probably had about maybe 200 miles of biking um, under my belt before May when I started, or I guess started in June. But um, <laughs> so I was like man, this is going to be a, a, a really tough first week or two. <laughs> and it, it was challenging. Um, another thing is, I don't know, I guess I just assumed June, starting in June, it'd be warm everywhere in the U.S. It is not warm in <laughs> the Northwest uh, in June. And so there were some definitely cold, rainy days that you just had to bear through. And I only brought a pair of Chacos. That was my only footwear for the whole trip. <laughs> Um, in retrospect, terrible idea. Um, my only rain gear was, uh, uh, a rain jacket, which is also a terrible idea. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say the Northwest and the, the cold and the rain, um, kind of got to me quite a bit. There were some days where I was like, even the very first day, you know, you wake up and I woke up in my tent and I heard rain just, you know, pouring. I was like, man, what did I do? What, what am I doing out here? It's, it's freezing. It's raining. I had a nice warm bed to sleep in and, uh, food to eat. Um, so that was, that was challenging. Um, I'd say highlights the, the people, I mean, the people you meet along the way are, are incredible just from the random encounters of, you know, you're just waiting outside of a, a gas station to get some, some food. And, um, a lot of people just want to stop by and just, they're just <laughs> curious. They're curious what you're doing. Um, when you look all like a, just this crazy wanderer and, um, they have a lot of questions. So, you know, the random encounters, but also just the hosts that had us and, and, um, gave us a place to sleep were also incredible. And the other cyclists you meet along the way, you know, I thought I'd be the only person out there, but there's also a lot of other crazy people who, who bike across the country too. And it's really cool hearing their stories as well. So, um, and then the, the landscape, I mean, this country is just gorgeous, beautiful landscape that, um, I saw along the way too. So a lot of highlights as well. And what was, uh, interesting and cause you let me in on a little bit of your planning is that yeah, the yeah. front half took so, so long to get through. <laughs> yep. Uh, but once you got through Iowa, the rest of the trip was less than a month long. Yeah. Yep. It was about two thirds. Um, of the trip was to Iowa and then there's only one third for the, to the East coast. And so the West is just, I, I guess growing up in Iowa, I didn't really, I traveled around, but I, I haven't biked the country. So I didn't just realize how the expansiveness of, of the West, uh, up to Iowa. And so, yeah, I mean, it almost took us about two weeks to get through South Dakota and it took us about <laughs> three days to get through Wisconsin. Um, and so it just was, uh, a little different, the distance, um, uh, from the West to the East. And so, also, I mean, the East, I guess, had its challenges, too, where there was just a lot more traffic and, and cities you kind of had to, to get through as well. But, yeah. 
Nice. Well, Chris, we are at the time where we do our dozen questions with our Dewhawk dozen. Let's do it. Um, so we ask our tw- our Dewhawk dozen twelve questions. However, you made the mistake of letting us know that you listened to this podcast, so we have switched it up on you. Okay. Um, it's December, so I figured it'd be fun to do a few Christmas questions, and then there's a lot to talk about from your adventures on the road on the bike. Um, so I figured it'd be fun to do six questions about your trip. So we're okay. gonna do six questions about your trip, and we're gonna do six questions about Christmas. Perfect. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one, favorite state to bike through? Idaho. Most difficult state to bike through? South Dakota, by far. Go to lazy dinner? Anytime. Uh, I'm sorry, on the road. On the road? Ooh, mm, peanut butter sandwich. Did you have any ice cream while you were out there? Because I know that's your favorite. Almost every day. As, as much as I could. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite like park that you went to and stayed at? Ooh, um, Yellowstone. Yeah. And then number six, who was your favorite host along the way? Ooh, wow. I mean, they were all great. They were all great in their own way. They're all characters in their own way. I'd say the Hostetler family. It was uh, a family of a seminarian who I, or of a guy who I went to seminary with. Um, they were super nice, lived in Buffalo, Wyoming. Um, just a great family. Nice. Christmas time. All Christmas. right. Favorite Christmas movie? Ooh, Elf. Yeah. Just a classic. Favorite Christmas Carol? Christmas Carol. Mm. Is it bad if I say Carol the Bells? No. Okay. <laughs> it's your favorite Christmas Carol. I, I like know. it. Uh, best Christmas gift you've ever received? I got a metal detector once when I was a little kid. Loved it. I just thought I was this like treasure hunter in my backyard. <laughs> I was going out all all day in the snow. Yeah. One of your favorite Christmas traditions? Um. Uh, we're a Mexican family, so we always eat Mexican food um, on Christmas Eve every night, and it's just a full meal. It's it's great. And then finally, the most beautiful place on campus when it snows. I think Cane Porch, just being able to see over the whole the whole campus and the river. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the best views year round. But yeah, rain or shine or snow, it yeah. is a gorgeous view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so usually the second half of the podcast, we do talk about like you know the Loris experience. Yeah. Um, I know we've touched on it a little bit earlier, but. One of my main questions uh, for a lot of people is, how did you find Loris? How did you land on Loris? It's a great question. Um, my, parish pre- my parish priest had recommended it to me. So um, just kind of when I was doing the Iowa Private College Week back when they had uh, IPCW, um, <laughs> I, w- I went uh, and visited Loris. So checked it out. Um, really enjoyed it. Did an overnight visit. Um, I think kind of... I received the Brightbox scholarship, so that was kind of one of the big um, kind of closers for me, yeah. The Breitbach Catholic Thinkers and Leaders Program, you know, is awesome. It's been around for, for quite a while, um, and it brings a lot of students together. What was one of your f- favorite experiences from being a part of that program? Ooh, um, having class together, you know, having class together not just that first year, but all four years. I think it's just, uh, it's nice to you know, class and studying is you build some sort of camaraderie, but just being able to build those same memories over the four years, whether it's just kind of these intellectual growing intellectually as a, as a community, but also just, um, having, you know, just knowing that they're going to be there all four years too, uh, was really cool and seeing all of us grow in different ways. Um, those four years was, was nice. Yeah. You are our second um, Duhok Dozen to re- recipient who was a part of the Breitbach Catholic Thinkers and Leaders program. Jacob Heidenreich um, yeah. just recently was on with us. 
Um, I think one of the many things that just the students that are a part of that program and a lot of our Dewhawks um, represent really, really well is just how many facets of the Loris experience there really are. Yeah. Because there are only 15 students per year in that program, mm-hmm. but those students range in majors, range in geographic locations, backgrounds, all that stuff. What was, um, as you kind of reflect on that and every other part of that Loris experience that you you know, you know shared with those individuals over the, the course of the four years, what was a huge takeaway that you had, not just from that program, but from, from the dinners that you had with those students, from the study abroad that you had with those students? What was one big takeaway from that conglomerate of 15 students that had virtually nothing but their shared Catholic experience in common? Seeing, I guess, all that Loris has to offer and the many ways Loris works with so many different types of students. You know, like you said, we all came from such different backgrounds and all of us were doing and involved in so many different things. And so seeing the ways in which everyone kind of impacted Loris in different ways and all the things that they did, but also the ways in which they and everyone, all of us grew um, from Loris is just really cool to see. Um, kind of that wide variety, like you said, just seeing the, the variety of people in, in the program was, was really cool. So, um, yeah, I, there's probably a lot I could say, <laughs> but, uh, that's a tough question. And I know that, you know, Colleen cool integral part in helping shape those students, Dr. Osime as well, who are some of the other influential faculty, staff, and other, you know, role models that you had during your Loris experience while you were here that helped shape your entirety of your experience outside of the Right back at like okay. thinkers and leaders inside yeah. of it, kind of just regardless, some of those influential role models for you while you were a student. Hmm. That is a great question. <laughs> I don't have a specific answer of, you know, um, a specific role model, but I kind of like not having a specific answer because there were so many people there. Like I said, there, it, it's just a, a community that all has the same goal of supporting the students and, and, and like I said from the beginning, they all want to help you discover your talents and discover what you're good at. And, and then also in the same way, have that same service mindset of, of how then are you going to give that back to the world? And so you don't find that every place you go to and, um, and you don't always have that um, supportive community. And so, I, yeah, I don't have a specific answer to that. Um, you know, Breitbach and, and Dr. Ossam and Colleen and, any words and uh, all the people that ran the Breitbart program were incredible um, role models um, specifically, but the whole Loris community was, was, was great at that. Yeah, I definitely feel like regardless of your major or if you were an athlete or non-athlete or involved in clubs and organizations, you interact with upwards of five to 10 faculty and staff per day yeah. very easily. And you know, they know you by name. I just met with one of the first years um, yesterday and she was talking about how she had gotten sick for about a week. And during that period, she had her faculty checking in with her every day, not to like, you know, harangue over like getting her homework in, but just be like, how are you feeling? Like just check-ins, yeah. um, which I definitely don't think is the case to your point everywhere. So that, that community is awesome. So it's great to know that you, you had that same experience and it's still continuing today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's hard to name just one person. I don't, I don't think I could do that, but um, yeah, the whole community is incredible. Can you take us through the process of how you decided you wanted to serve into the priesthood or into the, mm, to the yeah. seminary? Um, at Loris, I'm not sure if it was part of your 
part of your plans when you committed to coming to school here, but, um, you know, kind of what was the thought process like? Yeah. Um, it was something that I've always had in the back of my head since I was, uh, in high school. So definitely there, but not seriously thought about it when I, when I committed to Loris as a senior in high school. Um, but I think one of the great things was having the uh, minor seminary attached to Loris and seeing all the other um, seminarians just on campus, you know, in the dining hall. I took uh, uh, one or two classes with them too. So seeing that they were normal dudes and just uh, part of the community was just really kind of eye-opening for me as a young Duhawk at the time. And so I think that there was a summer between my sophomore and junior year at Loris where um, I lived with my family in Panama for the summer, and that was just kind of a really good experience where I could step away from kind of all the different um, attachments or influences I had um, here in in the Midwest and really just had a great time to just discern and reflect personally. And I think there was a, a moment at, at Mass where it just kind of felt a call on my heart to at least take that step, to take that step into the unknown and and give seminary a shot. And so uh, I did and had an incredible um, opportunity and, and grew so much personally and spiritually through that, that discernment process. Um, and very challenging to, to step away as well from the seminary. Um, but that's, like I said, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> and if I had it all figured out, uh, that'd be nice, but definitely not, <laughs> not, uh, not always the case. I was walking in past a colleague this morning, and um, in the same vein, I'd say, like, oh, how's it going? And she'd go, just figuring life out. And then <laughs> yep. said, well, aren't we all? Yep. Um, so I think, you know, that rings true. And it really does stick out to me as you eat, just hearing it right now. I know that, you know, we worked literally next door to each other up in Kane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I knew all of these things. But hearing you explain this now, it really does seem like you do a very good job of taking the time to think through and then making the decision that is right in the moment. It, it you know, I, as we talked about before you left for your bike trip, if mm -hmm. at the end of three months you're like, wow, I kind of regret that, like <laughs> at least you made the decision. Um, can you kind of speak to throughout your time at Loris um, where maybe some of those examples came up as a student where, you know, it's just advice for our student listeners at home that making that decision just to do something instead of, yeah. you know, the, the lack thereof making a decision. Yeah. You have to make a decision <laughs> at some point. You know, I think that it, it's something I, I definitely struggle with even myself. And so I don't uh, blame anyone either. But, um, you know, taking that step is, is crucial. But I think once you do take that step, then th things start to become a little bit clearer as you go as well. So, you know, for students at Loris, you know, it's, it's tough, right? Everyone's asking you, what's, what's going to be your major? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to... Um, clubs you're gonna be involved in, um, and that's you know those, those are challenging, huge questions to take on. But you know my advice would really just be pick pick a major, choose something, and it might it might even be the wrong major, um, and that's okay though. You know you're gonna learn from that, and you're gonna you're gonna grow, and and Loris won't fail you, and you're gonna become successful in whatever you do. But um, you know pick something and, and go with it and you'll learn as you go along the way. Um, but the, the hardest thing really is just taking that, that first step. Um, so 
yeah, and you can change your major. Um, not always, maybe once, once or twice, <laughs> but um, you can you can pivot as you as you go in life, and and there's no set path. Uh, I've kind of learned that as I've gone um, through my own my own life journey, and working with families and students as an admission rep too. You know, I talk with parents who are like, yeah, I'm. Uh, 40 years old and I graduated, you know, years ago and I'm still undecided what my major is. Uh, and so that was just really helpful to hear from a lot of parents who were, yeah, even years later after you graduate decades later, um, you're still not going to have it all figured out, but you do got to, you know, make that, that decision, take the step and know that you have a community to support you along the way that you won't. Um, I think the biggest thing for the biggest thing for me and always making some sort of life decision is, as a one being scared that I'm going <laughs> to fail or that I'm going to fall, I guess. And, um, yeah, you do, I have my setbacks of course, but there's always that community of Loris community of friends and, and family that are always right there to, to pick me up and to, um, help me continue forward as well. And so, yeah, scary for sure, but making that step and having that support along the way is what I said at the beginning. It's exciting. <laughs> it's what makes life fun. I think so. And just one final question for you. In the same vein of advice for our current students, advice for recent alumni, you know, in December of 2022, our, our 2022 grads are about six, seven months out of college. So yeah. proverbially, they're at that stage of life where you were when you're sitting in a tent, rain is pouring down <laughs> above you, and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, you know, they're either a few months into a new job or they might have moved to a new city. Um, what advice do you have for our young alum that are at that stage of life as well and, and are curious, what am I doing <laughs> yeah. or what have I done and what comes next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think for me it was, it was odd because I didn't necessarily have that experience. You know, right after, some, or right after I graduated from Loris, I went straight on to major seminary and, and kind of went on this, this slightly different path. Um, but, you know, I, I think I also had that experience maybe even when I discerned how to seminary. Um, but it's an odd time. It really is a, a weird time and a weird place to be in, um, that a lot of people don't talk about. And I think can be, um, definitely a challenging time personally. And, and cause so many things are changing. There's so many, you know, relationships are changing. Um, places where you live are changing. The job that you're doing every day is changing. And, and it might, you're like, Oh man, did I make the wrong decision? Did I make the right decision. Um, you know, you're, you're second guessing yourself in all these different ways, but, um, so I'd say one, you're not alone. I think a lot of recent alum, Loris and otherwise, you know, have that same experience. Um, but then two, just, you know, stick it out to, you know, give it some time. Um, I think all things pass in, in some way and, and the next thing will always, um, come ahead. There's, there's always gonna be that, that next step that's going to um, show itself and, and then be willing to, to take that next step when it, when it does come. Um, and be willing to stay when you're supposed to stay as well. So <laughs> right. There's, again, there's not a set answer for it. Um, and that's the challenging part. Um, but like I, I said multiple times, the exciting part too, you know, we, we learn, we learn, um, the times when we were supposed to go and the times we were supposed to stay and, um, and that's, like I said, the fun, fun part about it all. Absolutely. Awesome. It, it'd be boring. It'd be boring if it was all just <laughs> set out for us, you know? It would be. <laughs> um, 
So what's the fun in that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Luke, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today while Rachel was out. And um, as always, to our listeners at home, uh, you can be looking forward to the next batch of Duhawk Dozen starting January 12th, um, 2023. I know. Yeah. It's wild. Thank you to uh, all 12 of our Duhawk Dozen this past year. Trent Hanselman, who is our previous editor, and um, to Robert Waterbury, who is currently the one working with us to make sure that we sound good today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for, for 12 great months of 12 great Duhawks and countless stories to tell. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Go, Go Duhawks. Duhawks.